Uh, so I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Jonathan Reed. Uh, my pronouns are he and him, and I'm calling from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, I mean, I do a lot of things, but uh, in terms of the relevance to this conversation, I'm the youth program manager with an organization called Next Gen Men, um, which I describe in different ways depending on how bored I am. And right now I'll say it means that I design, deliver, and uh, I guess evaluate youth programs and resources and professional development related to engaging boys on topics like mental health and healthy relationships and gender equality. So I work a lot in schools. I work a lot with young teenage boys and with the teenagers and the parents who are, uh, you know, God willing, taking care of them and their well-being and their impacts on the people around them. And uh, I mean, other than that, I similarly to you, I have a side project of a podcast called Breaking the Boy Code. It has been on hiatus for a while because life is busy, although I don't own busy. Um, so it's not really an excuse, but it is what it is. And I'm just finishing a Master of Education um, centered on youth mental health and resilience, which has been a real blast as well. So that's a snapshot of me. I also coach Ultimate Frisbee. There's a fun fact oh, yeah. <laughs> about what I do. Yeah. yeah, um a lot of things I don't do, <laughs> but <laughs> I will say like I don't know, I think I've known you since I don't know when was I think it was 2021, been over 2 years now, which is crazy to think about. Ugh, there's it's so difficult to start conversations mm-hmm. about men's mental health, although um it's a very like I think it's a topic that needs to be talked about a lot more, but it doesn't I don't know doesn't get talked about enough but I think that also can kind of play into why it's kind of hard to start the conversation because we're not used to having the conversation yet I don't think totally yeah I totally resonate with that plus it becomes this giant you know huge conversation like where do you start right it touches our lives in so many different ways um and like across generations across provinces so when it's something that big for sure the question's like where on earth do you start yeah like i know um one of the biggest things that kind of started this like one of the biggest things that um made me want to start with this is just um i've noticed that a lot of people in my life specifically men are very distant from their mental health it seems and so like for me i'm not Um, But I think that also comes down to the individual. Uh, But I know that I have a few friends that just don't understand what mental health is or they don't know how to approach it. So I think um, something we could talk about, something that I have on this is how not approaching mental health issues can lead to those issues being heightened, I guess. Because if you don't, address your mental health problems or you don't address any issues that are going on they can get worse very quickly i think yeah totally two things that come to mind for me is one's mental health literacy and the other i don't know what word to give it but i guess i'd say like um maybe courage or comfort like one of the one of what like whatever it takes to be authentic and vulnerable for the mental health literacy piece like that's just kind of like you said like there's just an awareness of what it is and there's an awareness of just the concept itself. And there's certainly like a level of like learning that a lot of young people, I mean, people of all ages have to do about what exactly are we talking about when we talk about mental health and well-being. And and then there's also the self-awareness of like, okay, I'm becoming literate about how like mental health like feels within me. And you know, like I called somebody on the phone, this is a few years ago now, but I called somebody on the phone like really um, worried about something. And she kind of paused me and she was like, 
you're like really agitated. I don't remember the adjective that she used, but it was something that really stopped me. And to have somebody point out to me, like you're, you don't sound like you're okay was um, memorable because I hadn't paid that close attention to myself. And I think that has to do with mental health literacy of just like being aware of, yeah, your own well-being. And then the other piece is um, is like the com- like the comfort of the courage or whatever it takes to be vulnerable with the people around you because I think often especially as you know as boys and young men we get into our heads the you know like the dominant narrative of what it means to be a man is to not ask for help and to not be a burden to protect other people right and to you know it's like that it all boils down to like the boys don't cry narrative. And what that means is that it actually takes a lot of courage, right? To say, I'm not okay, you know, or I need a hand or, um, yeah, just like to, to cry or whatever it might be. And so often, even though we know what mental health is, and even sometimes when we know, yeah, I'm like really struggling right now, it takes something else to actually do something about it and to open up with somebody about it. And yeah, I guess I'll call that courage. I think it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable with the people around you. And so even on top of understanding what mental health is, I think helping boys unpack how do I be vulnerable with people that I can trust um, is another important step as well. Yeah, no, everything you just said, absolutely, yes. Um, I think, yeah, I think what you said about, like, it's not necessarily that um, men and boys don't know what mental health is because you know they might they might not depends on the person i guess but it's more of like how to approach it how to ask for help the courage you were saying and um that you know with society how society is um you know we're kind of taught not to express emotions to kind of you know um again like you were saying like i lost the word but um you know just kind of oh burden that's the word you know kind of not to be a burden like that that's all stuff that society is kind of i guess don't know the correct word to use here but you know this is kind of a a thing that as society we're not really making it easier for men and boys to actually do this because there are stereotypes there's the way you're supposed to be um but it's not necessarily the right way i think yeah i'm still working on the like it almost it almost requires like a bit of a reimagining of what your relationships are because like even for myself like in the last couple of months i've had bad stuff happen and i haven't really told people because it yeah it's like it's i don't want to be it's not that i think i'm a burden but for me personally it's almost like i know like they're not even going to know what to say you know and i don't need their solution and um i just don't i don't want them to feel bad if they don't have to and i guess maybe that's burden or whatever you put on it but um so for me, it's, I mean, I'm really keyed into like, I mean, it's my whole job, right? It's my whole career on positive masculinity and role modeling and all that kind of thing. But even for myself, I'm still struggling. And I think what it takes for me, like what I'm working on right now is thinking about relationships differently. Like if I tell, you know, even a family member something that I'm struggling with, that it's not that they have to feel bad for me or fix it for me or think of me any differently, but to just be part of my story, I guess, and to yeah. be there with me like i still haven't really figured out how to describe it but like to me it's not even just like changing my identity which is hard enough but like changing the way that i think about my relationships with other people (laughs) that's a huge uh like that's a huge thing to think about well and that's the thing it's very loaded um 
which is why I was kind of like, where to start? Because yeah, exactly. there is so many different like parts and aspects of mental health in general. But there's also that part where I think I, I think it's nice to acknowledge that, you know, one thing that um, I've noticed a lot is with a lot of my male friends and just, you know, a lot of the men around me that I know, um, they will tell me that there's a problem, but they won't tell me what the problem is. And when I ask mm-hmm. why, it's because they don't want to be that burden or, you know, they say something along the lines of, I don't want to, f- you know, make other people feel bad for me because all of a sudden that's like an attack on their masculinity almost with that toughness, that wanting to be, you know, the automatic, um, I guess, dominance of you know, masculinity, um, I think mental health is an attack on that because it's okay for feminine people, for women to, you know, express emotions, right? But for men, you're not supposed to. And so when you want to or you're, you know, someone's trying to get you to speak about your emotions, uh, it can be kind of difficult because that can be taken as an attack on masculinity. And this kind of goes into um, another part that I wanted to bring up, which was kind of like how some men will, instead of expressing emotion, they will get angry very quickly and as a replacement because that's just an easier way to go about it. That's the way that they've kind of been taught their entire life. It's kind of just like, don't address your problems just like I guess it's not that it's um, a taught thing it's just if you're not addressing your problems anger can come from that and because you know suppressing emotion and everything like that is such a norm um, it's like so is the anger that comes from it people aren't surprised when men are angry and they are when women are angry because you know it's that's just not normal or whatever so that's kind of something that i've noticed totally i mean we've seen for decades the like representation of like the the um you know the cowboy or the superhero in a movie who's like their best friend just died or something really tragic has happened and they're like the emotional expression is like a clenched jaw you know or maybe Mm -hmm. a single tear rolls down their cheek but what the story is really getting at is vengeance or some other form of you know of anger that's being expressed in a different way and yeah i think we have far fewer representations of what it looks like to just cry you know or to just get a really long hug like i don't know if i've ever seen that in a movie um at least not in a long time and um, so I think media representation plays into that. And I think that's, I mean, media representation is changing because our culture is changing. Um, but I think that plays into it. And I also think that like, that goes back a little bit to the mental health literacy that like sometimes when um, you're upset as a kid, you are even as an adult, like you, it's hard, it's hard to identify what is going on in my body right now. Like I'm activated, like I'm hot. And like, there's something in my chest, there's something in my throat. And, um, and certainly it's a lot easier to express anger. So like you said, it's a lot more, you're allowed to express anger in a way that you're not really allowed to with, with sadness. And um, I know there's a researcher named Niobe Way who's done a lot of research with, with young adolescent boys. And I think it was her who interviewed a middle schooler who's, who was talking about his friends um, and getting stood up, like getting left 
um i think he's like waiting at a mall or something like that or waiting in a movie for his friend to come and uh and the friend said and the, like, the boy said something like you know i'm really heartbroken like i'm really sad that you didn't come but i'm not i'm gonna sh- i'm not gonna say that i'm gonna be mad at you mm-hmm. and i think that kind of i wish i remembered that quotation about that story better but to me that like is an example of how feelings of sadness yeah now that I say this out loud, I'm like, this is really dumb. This is just literally what Lloyd just said, but how feelings of sadness can be expressed through anger um, again and again, and it becomes a pattern. Yeah, I, um, I, I I see that a lot. Just, you know, something that I'm very good at is being observant. Um, uh-huh. I do a lot of observing just of the people around me. Um, a lot of times, and this is something that I find kind of funny, but kind of not at the same time is sometimes I'll just be sitting there um, looking around not doing anything while all of my friends are talking having conversations whatever and I'm just sitting there and I'm observing and I don't I don't even notice it um, because like occasionally I'll be clued into the conversation um, because someone is directly talking to me but then I'll go right back to just observing again and something that I notice a lot is just like the difference between the communication styles of men and women is very different mm-hmm. based on the standards that are set by stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That would be a really good thesis statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally. yeah uh, I'm curious, would you, yeah. like, what would be an example that you've seen in terms of expression differences? So I've noticed that, um, let's say there is a touchy topic that could be coming up. Um, like I, I've noticed that uh, the the women, my female friends, they don't have any issue talking about it. But as soon as that's like anything mental health related, anything serious, anything that could be touchy, all of my male friends just kind of stop talking and they go on their phone and they be awkward. But then as soon as the conversation goes back to something fun and interesting, it's not that it's not interesting, I guess, but it's more of like all of a sudden they're back in the conversation and they're full for it. And I've just, I noticed that like natural drift away because that's kind of taboo almost for masculinity to talk about those things. So um, I guess that's one example of how that kind of comes into play, my observations. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I think that speaks to comfort level, you know, and familiarity. And certainly like um, some things are safer to talk about than others. And it kind of makes me think of, um, I haven't really done this recently, but back when I was regularly facilitating workshops on mental health, and this kind of goes back to like 2018, 2019. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I used to use the NBA finals um, as an entry point to the conversation. Uh, And essentially to jog your memory in the 2018 NBA finals was the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Golden State Warriors. So LeBron James versus the Golden State Warriors. um, And, uh, and, Essentially, long story short, it was a tie game right to the buzzer. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers got the ball. LeBron James passed to J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith really needed to take the shot, but he didn't. He dribbled it back out of the key. And 
kind of messed up the play. And because of that, <clears throat> it went into overtime and the, the Cleveland Cavaliers lost. And LeBron James was so mad about it that he punched a blackboard and then played the next three games with like a bro- basically a broken hand. And there's, you know, there's a bit of controversy about how injured was he, but long story short, he had some sort of significant hand injury. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell his teammates. He didn't tell reporters or, you know, the, or, you know, the opposing team or his fans. Nobody knew that he was playing with that level of injury. And so, first of all, every like young teenage boy that I was working with at that time knew like word for word what had happened in the NBA finals, because at least in, you know, my region of Ontario, basketball is a really big deal. So it was a really, really familiar, easy topic. And the question we would usually ask is something like, okay, if you're a professional athlete, why do you stay silent? Like, why do you keep that kind of injury to yourself? And right away, like there's no hesitation. They would be like, you know, I don't want to let my teammates down. Um, I don't want my fans to think badly of me. I don't want the other team to take advantage of me. Um, I don't want to people know that I lost my cool. Like there's reason after reason after reason. And then the like, you know, the twist in the story is like, those are actually really similar reasons if we change the question to, okay, if you're a young man who's struggling with a mental health struggle, if there's some sort of stress or grief in your life, what's some reasons you might keep that to yourself? And really they're quite the same. Like, I don't want people to think differently of me. I don't want to be taken advantage of, you know, I don't want to be the center of attention or whatever it might be. And so what we've done is go go from a really familiar territory. Like there's nothing easier for a 13 year old boy to generalize. There's nothing easier for a 13 year old boy to, than to talk about basketball, right? Or a professional professional athlete. And so we've gone from that familiar terrain and then sort of walked together into the more unfamiliar and more disc like more uncomfortable space of talking about mental health and well-being and what it takes to communicate. Um so that knowing that discomfort, that tendency to to drift away or to shy away when that conversation becomes a little more taboo is something that I think about a lot. I think you're really right and um and so that's something that I, you know, I did on purpose to try to make it a little bit easier to enter that conversation. I think that's actually, I think that's actually really, really smart. Um, because if there's just like a more natural transition that also includes the interests of, yeah. you know, these other people, um, it can be easier to go into those more, um, you know, I, I'm going to use the word scary topics because, you know, something that a lot of um, men won't admit is that sometimes talking about mental health is scary because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to talk about it because the thing is is that because of these you know stereotypes uh you know that's brought on by society it's like we don't teach men how to express emotions in what i believe is a healthy way and is talking about talking about it just you know finding someone you can trust to talk about it and i think one of uh the biggest issues is that i guess i I might change where i'm going with this um this is gonna sound uh very like a very weird jump um but i will find a way to somehow make it connect back in my head and then i will yeah so i was actually having a conversation with my dad um yesterday and we were talking about the term toxic masculinity and how he does not like that term at all because the way that he views it is that we are describing masculinity as being toxic Mm -hmm. so it's not like I, i was trying to explain to him well toxic masculinity and masculinity are two different terms but he's saying that toxic masculinity is just calling masculinity toxic mm. and right. by the english language like he's kind of right by the way that the words are formed together he's right and so it was just it was kind of a heated discussion because i use the term a lot um and it's 
very difficult to explain exactly what it is, but um, he was very passionately against the term. And in my head, I was thinking like, is that because it attacks his masculinity? Because, you know, uh, for me, I'm in a very weird kind of position where I'm a man and I have masculine qualities, masculine traits, but I also kind of identify as a somewhat feminine person as well. Just it also it depends on who I'm around, the situations, how I'm feeling, my mood, whatever. It kind of depends on all of that. And so one of the issues that I'm noticing is I can't speak fully on behalf of either masculinity or femininity. Uh-huh. And so when I um, go and I use the word toxic masculinity and my dad doesn't like it, um, for me... It's not like I can't understand where he's coming from fully, um, but what I do know is that it makes him upset for some reason I'm not fully aware of. Um, But like all I can kind of go with is that it sounds like it's an attack on him and his masculinity. And so, yeah, I was not able to find a connection back, but I also forgot what I was trying to say before. So there's something I guess we can go with. Um, okay, well, when I think of toxic masculinity, I mean, there's obviously lots to that term. There's value to it. There's reasons that it's polarizing for people. Um, I think if you're not thinking about masculinity as a construct, it can be hard to, um, yeah, to distinguish what exactly might these terms mean. So I kind of get where he's coming from and definitely get where you're coming from. One of the really cool realizations that I had over the last year was I actually think the term toxic masculinity is kind of really interesting for a reason that nobody's really talking about which is toxicity itself because i could be wrong (laughs) i'm not a biologist but i would say the human body is actually designed to withstand toxicity the point at which toxicity becomes harmful is when you're immersed in it and solely within it for a really long period of time if you're you know if you're dipping your toes or you're walking through it or you know you drink it (laughs) every now and then you're actually able to withstand that because the human body can heal itself, right? And to and take care of itself in different ways. And so I actually think that's really interesting that toxic masculinity might be less about, you know, defeating something we don't agree with and more about just recognizing within every young person's life, right? Within every person's life, we need to help them stay connected to places of safety and um, relationships of trust where you're not exposed to the possibility of harm or, um, you know, or... Um, you're not constantly, you know, degrading others or making offensive jokes or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, and so something I'm thinking about with young people these days and definitely in the context of mental health is not so much how can I change, you know, change them or change their lives or change the world, but how can I just maintain an alternate possibility for what it means to be a man so that when they want to, they can exit from a toxic environment and be part of, you know, a supportive and I don't know what the opposite by like what's the opposite of toxicity i usually use the word positive masculinity but if i'm just saying uh, you know removing yourself from like a toxic river and then just like a a (laughs) life-giving river uh, whatever that whatever the opposite of toxic is like how can i help him maintain access to that source that's something that i think about with toxicity and i definitely do not explain it as well as i could have but that's yeah that's what catches my attention oh it's fine i think anyone who's going to listen to this will at least understand it enough i mean i got it so we're good yeah i i don't know is what's really 
um, difficult for me is like when I talk to other men about what exactly toxic masculinity is, it kind of turns into exactly what toxic masculinity is. So, um, I guess, for example, with my conversation that I had with my dad, it's about tox- the term toxic masculinity is almost kind of proving my point, almost, um, which yeah. makes it even worse. And of course, I wouldn't go and say to his face, oh, you're proving my point about what toxic masculinity is. But um, yeah, I I think one of the, the biggest issues that we have to kind of get past with um, you know, this, I, I'm, I'm going to say that toxic masculinity is almost a stereotype, but so is regular yeah. masculinity. And, um, this kind of brings my dad's point back again, where it's kind of like, uh, we are just calling masculinity toxic by using that term. Cause it's like, for me, it's a yes and no, because I can see both sides of why it is and isn't. Um, because when you think of masculinity and toxic masculinity, um, just in general, um, maybe not you, but for me, I just see the same thing, but that's also just because of like, for me, the term toxic masculinity is used as, um, what exactly like it kind of defines the list of stereotypes that men usually fit into but because that list is very very normal with just masculinity in general using the term toxic masculinity is kind of you know saying masculinity is toxic (laughs) what came to mind for me there was um a term that i actually like a lot better than toxic masculinity is precarious masculinity which also comes from the academic world but it's based on the idea that part of the experience of being a boy and being a man is that you have to prove yourself and that's actually something that's unique um arguably to manhood than womanhood that to be you know to be a woman you're you're not called into question you know your status as a woman isn't called into question in the same way that it is you know as a boy growing into a man and um and so something that i kind of usually talk about is um is that 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 proof that what you do to prove yourself that's where the possibility of harm lies that's where toxicity can take place because there so for, say for example you want to prove yourself um as um strong you know there's lots of ways you can do that you can do that in ways that you know like that like uplift you know the people around you and um you can certainly demonstrate your strength by like taking care of people or standing up for people and you can demonstrate your strength by belittling people and degrading them or standing on top of them. And so it's in that choice where toxicity can take place. And I think that also goes back to mental health because if you, yeah, like like there's nothing wrong with being tough, right? There's nothing wrong with being independent. Like those are valuable qualities to have. And certainly we're all gonna be at points in our lives where that grit is, is gonna help us get places or get through a tough situation. And I think where the possibility for harm lies is, in like is in the situation where you are so convinced that you need to prove yourself to be tough or to be independent by not asking for help when you really do need it like that's where things can really go sideways and yeah so i think the term precarious masculinity which gets at you have to prove yourself and how are you going to do that like that's where um that to me is like a um i i would say both more accurate and like a less polarizing way to think about masculinity it's just probably not as catchy you know as toxic masculinity might be 
That's, I have to use it quite a bit to remember it. A crazy statistic there, a really shocking statistic that I heard, and again, I'll forget the exact numbers, but it was something like um, the average like crowd in a movie is like maybe two thirds guys. And if it like goes higher than two thirds, then male audience members think that even if it's like 35% girls, they think it's majority girls. Like there's this weird distortion of representation. And um, anyways, so there's all kinds of different ways that um, like from Shakespeare to now, we're continuing to, uh, to center ourselves as, as men telling stories. And I think that definitely plays into the precariousness that we've got to prove ourselves. And sometimes certainly our audience is people of other genders. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, this is kind of the thing where it's like you don't see a lot of men going and watching chick flicks. It's just not, <laughs> you know, it's just because like a chick flick might not. I use that as like a funny term. Um, but that's just because this actually goes into something that's quite interesting is uh my stepmom made a joke one time saying, okay, well, uh, your dad and your stepbrother will go watch some, you know, go watch Godzilla or something weird in theaters. And then because that's not necessarily our thing, we'll go watch a chick flick together because they wouldn't be interested in that. Right. But we're not necessarily fully interested in what they want to watch either. So she made that joke. But looking back at it, I'm kind of like, like, I wonder why. You know, like obviously um, there's just media is taken in by different people. There's obviously like um, going off of chick flicks. Obviously, that's normally just kind of something that men wouldn't always watch. And, um, you know, because again, like you were saying, if there's more than 35% women, it's like that all of a sudden men can kind of see that as there's over 50% when that's not even true. It's mostly women. Um, and I know that if, like, I know some men that if it, they were to see that, they would be like, okay, I'm done watching. I'm leaving now. Mm -hmm. Because that, again, kind of rounds back to attacking their masculinity in a very, very slight sense, almost. Um, because we're so used to seeing male representation but not female representation. And so as soon as there is a lot of female representation, men automatically feel like that's an attack on their masculinity when it's not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it gets into the culture wars of, you know, wokeism. And there's a lot of like depth to what people are perceiving. I don't know if depth mm -hmm. is the right word, but there's a, like a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going on in in that kind of respect. One thing that I'm thinking about lately, though, is like more often than not, this goes down to money, right? Because the reason, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like the reason I would say there's this really strong, like polarization of like the Fast and Furious, John Wick, you know, action movies and the like 
um see i'm also a guy so i can't even think off the top but like the barbie movie I mean, that <laughs> actually looks like a banger of a movie i'm not gonna lie but like the more soft um you know our chick flick movies like the reason there's a, a huge polarization is the same reason there's you know blue clothes and pink clothes and there's like dove you know like for women you know it's all soft and then and then there's you know the, the but like axe and old spice like made for men razors and different things like it's all about like creating categorizations that they can market to and sell more like it just comes down to capitalism and making money more often than not and i think it's really important that we like open our eyes to that because um it's not by accident right that these constructions have like taken place in our society like it's like it's marketing for a purpose and um, like if we're not careful, like we're getting taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I think the issue with it is almost that like this is um going into kind of another thing that I want to talk about a bit is that all of these big things that are problems for men that just they don't talk about or properly acknowledge um, can kind of lead to anxieties because you know men are taught not to share their emotions so even if they want to sometimes they get too anxious too because they just it's unnatural for them they don't like it it's not normal whatever um that's just not the way they want to go about it and i and i know this is the case because a, a lot of my male friends you know i've noticed that it's not that they don't necessarily want to talk about it it's just that it's even harder to and for some some of these um, guys that I know I've said hey you know I'm not gonna judge I'm like and I really won't I you know I genuinely want to hear what it is that they have to say whatever they are going through I want to be there for them but the thing is is that that requires them to be open and vulnerable and so it can just become a thing where it's like they may want to share but they're just too anxious to do anything or say anything because they don't know how, and that's just because society their entire life has taught them, again, with the capitalism thing, capitalism is basically what defines societal norms. And the male societal norm is to not talk about these things. Yeah. This is so fat. Like, I'm thinking just one more piece on the, like, not that razors are really the most accurate, <laughs> but, like, if I, if I have, if I have, like, not thought critically about something as like shallow and simple as the razors that i buy like what about like that that deep you know dark you know like high stakes emotional feeling that's somewhere deep you know within my belly like i i'm sure i haven't questioned that as effectively as i could or i should and in terms of the like you know the reluctance to speak that like anxiety i think you're really onto something there as well because it's like really easy i mean we talked a little bit about like the uncomfortable terrain but like i'll say for my it's really easy to be like oh you know just share you know and just speak (laughs) yeah but i'll say for myself like i um my mom's dog recently passed away and so we did like a a bit of a send-off around um where we buried her and um and this happened, this actually also happened when my, several years ago, my, my brother's dog passed away as well, where I really had things I wanted to say. Like I really did. And I just knew as soon as I 
open my mouth, I'm just going to cry. Like, I, I just know I'm not going to get the words out. That's happened to me. I know that's happened to me at a funeral as well and at a wedding <laughs> um, where um, I, like, I just am, like, totally blocked. And the, um, so it's, to me, it's, like, a recognition of, like, it's not even that, like, I don't want to. It's, like, the physical capability to say those words in that moment um, can be immense. Mm-hmm. And, um and can be like indescribably difficult and um yeah i don't know what the answer is to that like i think finding other forms of expression like something i did for example was make a slideshow of my mom's dog um and i like worked hard to like find photos of her throughout the years and that kind of thing and i cried making the slideshow and i cried watching the slideshow but that was an important way for me to say what i would wanted to have said which was you know how much she's meant to to like me and also like to have known her impact on my mom throughout the years like that's part of what i wanted to say and so to say that in a different way um rather than just with my words i think was something that was valuable to me and i also started therapy for the first time this year this is kind of slightly unrelated but something i valued in therapy was um the um like the skill of a therapist in asking questions that push you a little bit you know, but not so far that you're speechless. Like mm-hmm. there were challenging moments where I had to sort of stop and think and like test stuff out and that kind of thing. But I think that like professional conversations do offer that like level of skill. Whereas, you know, if a friend just tells you, hey, like, you know, unload and tell me everything that's going on. Like sometimes that happens in books or movies and it like results in this cathartic experience. But I think more often than not, you're like, how do I even start, you know? And if I am kind of like I experienced, if I open my mouth, I'm just going to cry. And that's going to make me feel bad. It's going to make you feel bad. It's going to make us all, you know, not live up to the kind of man that we're supposed to be. So let's just not go there to begin with. But I think a therapist does offer like a level of skill and a level of like scaffolding, I guess, or like like walking into that unfamiliar terrain um, in like a like a safe sort of step by step way. So that those are those are like a couple of possible solutions. But I think you're totally onto something that like the anxiety and um, just the 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 immense like challenge in actually speaking sometimes. Yeah, you know I'm gonna bring out a statistic here that kind of uh, threw me off because I think it's wrong. Um, and I was actually, this came up in a kid's help phone um, advertisement on YouTube. You know, it was a very serious kind of like, you know, use this resource if you need it kind of thing. But the thing that they said in there is one in two teenagers have mental health problems. And I'm going to say the reason why I think that statistic is wrong is because of how broken um just i i want to say this generation is but every generation is because we are causing problems to each other mm-hmm. parents people say oh like um our my parents you know raised me in the best way that they could um with you know the knowledge that they had in that moment that might be true but that doesn't you know kind of that that almost is a, a sidestep to defend your parents um, even though they have caused a lot of problems and it's not just with parents the way you grew up but also kind of like they say one and two but it's like so every girl that I know every woman that I know 
has mental health problems. I don't know a single one that does not. And every man that I've been around, because like obviously it's not like a 50-50 split between men and women in the population. But let's just say it is. That would basically just account for women. That's it. That wouldn't account for men. That means that Kids Help Phone is wrong. Sorry, I support the resource. They're wrong. Because also, because I'm such such an observant person, going back to what I was saying before, it's not true. Every man that I know, too, also has mental health problems. I'm not saying every person ever has mental health problems, but I'm just saying that um, maybe we all do. And, like, you know, people... So, something that I've thought was kind of interesting is, you know, I, I'm also... Um, in therapy as of this year as well. That was another step that I also took. Um, I highly recommend it for everyone. I'm just saying um, it's helpful. Uh, but, you know, it, oh my goodness, where was I going for this with this? I like lost my train of thought. Well, quick shout out to everybody listening to just try therapy. Yeah. Just try, just try therapy. <laughs> um, this actually might be um, somewhat of a segue because I don't, we don't have like, a whole lot of time left for this um and i don't really want to uh go on forever although i could because like you know we were acknowledging at the beginning don't know where to start don't know where to end either because this is oh, there's a lot to talk about um so you know it, it's kind of like oh my goodness seriously my brain is not functioning right now my adhd meds are wearing off early <laughs> i'm tired um so i'm actually just gonna idea, go um, ahead you know one and two is wrong I think that is such a, a powerful thing to say, especially as a young person yourself. Um, and I think potentially like what it says to me is like also the way that you are thinking about mental health is different than the way they are. Um, and probably like more holistic, more like oriented towards well-being than um, than whatever, you know, statistician, like researcher came up with like the one and two. Like, I think that's just like a really, first of all, really bold. <laughs> um, but also I think kind of evokes like the ways that we we need to be thinking about mental health differently anyway. Mm -hmm. Because to me, all that statistic says is that, okay, so we're acknowledging women's mental health, but we're not acknowledging men. Capitalism. Mm -hmm. That's all that that's all that statistics has to me. And that's very unhelpful and very toxic because obviously, like I said, there's not a 50 50 split, but that's kind of what most people think of it as, even though with media, um, there's not a 50 50 split in media at all. It's huge percent man, male and men, people like I'm saying this in the complete wrong way. I'm just struggling to speak here. Um, I swear sometimes English is not my first language, um, but yeah, like, you know, that it's not a 50-50 split, but just that's kind of what they're making it seem to be. And of course, like this sounds like an attack on them, but I don't even think they're the ones that did the research. They probably just found it somewhere or whatever. But it's like, I just, I have that bold statement to say because I don't know a singly, a singly, a single mentally well person. Because I know a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I'm fine. Maybe whoever did that research just you know, did a, threw up a poll and 50% of the people said, oh yeah, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But that's not right because I mean, just the way, and I, again, I can't speak for other generations, but I can imagine it's similar. The way that Gen Z was brought up was very traumatizing because, well, we're brought into this new age of technology that wasn't properly figured out. 
right away. It's still not figured out. And so like, it's so much easier to say, um, you know, oh, I'm fine. than it is to actually be like, no, I'm not. Um, so, and that's just because of just like the way that society has been my entire life is kind of that. And just in general for a really long time is just that, you know, even if you're not doing okay, um, I, I don't care. You don't need to tell me you're not okay because I don't want you to share that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I just, it was an interesting t- statistic that I haven't really had a chance to talk to anybody about yet, but just to kind of think about it and look at it, I'm just like, that's not necessarily true because everyone, the parents of my generation were trying to figure out the best way to raise our generation but you know they did the best that they could i'll give them that but because they were so traumatized from their generation of parents they didn't know how to properly do it and the thing is is that i don't think like every generation's like oh i'm going to raise my children differently uh-huh. and i i was i i had a point in time where i was like you know maybe gen z is going to do that but are they are we uh-huh. i don't think so because like the trauma is so far back even if there wasn't um like actual abuse in that person's life there's still the societal norms brought on by society that Uh i could almost say are abusive in itself Uh you know this is how you should be and specifically the reason why we're here talking about men's mental health um you know i think the one big reason um, why uh, it's going to sound silly of me to say, but why men are such a staple almost is because um, like society is built around the ability to just push forward anyway, because if you are struggling with mental health and you shut down completely, um, you won't be able to continue easily. Like let's say you have a job. If you just shut down because you're having a mental health, you know, issue, uh, you're going to get fired because you need to go to, to work. You know, you can't just stop working because you're struggling with mental health. And so like with men, that it's just so natural to not acknowledge mental health and to not, not, not acknowledge it, but also, but kind of just like not necessarily act on making a better change. So, um, you know, it kind of just, Oh my goodness, why is my brain doing this? <laughs> this is, this is going to be like the entire thing, just being like, oh, I forgot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but it's just kind of like, to me, the reason why men are held to, like, are basically put on a podium almost is just because they have that ability to hide their emotions. Um, and because in society, you need to have that ability in order to properly function almost in order to properly function in the, in today's society. So, um, I think that's fascinating. Like the, the point that our society relies, you know, on silence, it relies on self-sacrifice and the way things are designed, like we don't actually have the, like community resilience um to like navigate true mental wellness is like huh okay because then all of a sudden we're not just talking about like stigma with like 12th graders we're talking about like reimagining culture (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, that's obviously similarly to where we started. Like, that's just such an unimaginably huge thing. Um, but yeah, when I think about, I also really liked your point about, I thought for a moment Gen Z would be able to, you know, to get it right. And I don't know if we will. I think that kind of stuck with me as well, because I've also had that generational, like, we're going to stop this cycle, right? We're going to fix it. And to be realistic and say, I don't think we will is like a little bit heartbreaking, but also really thought provoking. Something that came to mind for me with like with parenting and like interrupting the cycle of whether it's like, like toxic masculinity or violence or like the like um, stigma against mental health or whatever it might be is like, I guess um, we can't be trying to become perfect but maybe just become better at communicating because I know for myself, like I thought kind of similarly to you about your generation that like, I'll actually be the best dad there's ever been and I'll never get it wrong. And something that I'm reckoning with now is, yeah, I actually will get it wrong all the time because I'm a human. And kind of like you said, like I grew up with all kinds of tears. And um, what I can do is admit when I get it wrong, right? And say the stuff that's really hard to say and apologize. And um, I think that might be like an avenue towards like wellness is just better communication. But overall, I think, yeah, it just becomes kind of like you're struggling with like just this huge, like where do we even go? Um issue yeah and um you know for me communication is such a huge internal conflict because that's exactly what you know men are struggling to do communicate about themselves so you know and the thing is is that i i know a lot of people who believe that men don't have sympathy are not empathetic or not you know all of this stuff but the thing is is that's just because they don't show it because they're trying to prove themselves um so instead you know it just comes off as like they don't care you know um but what i've noticed with all of the people that i surround myself with it's like there's still that that level of empathy and you know kind of before you were saying how um one of the reasons why you struggle to communicate about, you know, issues that you have is because you don't necessarily want to make other people feel bad for you. That right. automatically shows to me that there is a level of empathy there. But right. the thing is, is that every human being feels those same emotions. And we're, I'm going to just pretend that um, uh, sociopaths do not exist because um, that's sure. a different mental health um, battle that we're not talking about right now. Um, but in this particular scenario, I'm going to say every human being has those emotions of not wanting to be a burden. But the thing with men is that it's not normalized at all to talk about emotions and to be strong for other people. So, you know, for women and just feminine people in general, it may be easier. For me, I have no problem sitting there and expressing my emotions. Sometimes. It depends on the situation. Um, but the thing is, is that no matter what, I still feel that same emotion. It's just men are very much suppressed. And, you know, there is the empathy from everybody. But the thing that's, you know, terrible is that with men, they're just, we're just taught not to express that. Even though, you know, women feminine people 
you know, have an easier time. Not, it's not necessarily easier. It's just like, it's easier, but it isn't. It's still a really difficult thing, but um, it's easier in the sense that it's not stigmatized for women and feminine people to express themselves. But the thing is, is that from my personal experience, from everyone that I know, you know, they still don't want other people to feel bad for them. But it's just with men and masculinity, it's not like it's not air quotes okay to make other people feel bad for you because you're supposed to prove yourself. So thing is, is every human expresses and feels that same exact emotion of I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to, you know, make other people feel bad for me. It's just with men, they're taught it's not okay with women. It is okay. That's the big difference. Everyone feels the same emotion. Yeah, I think focusing on that, um, like bringing that lens does a couple of things. Like one, just focusing on the burden thing, like this is just a sort of a small note, but like I've been talking with a couple of friends recently about, it's so funny how reluctant I can be to ask for help. Um, Like even yesterday, like it would have been really, it was raining and I would have really loved someone to go get my bike for me, you know, but I just went and got my because, you know, I don't want to ask somebody for help. But then if you think about being asked for help, like being the one who is asked, it's an honor, right? And I, this is a quote actually from a, a music um, group called Flowbots where they said something like, when I break bread with you, it's an, it's, um, what was it? It's something like, when I break bread with you, it's, it's like an honor, not, here, let me find it one second. Yeah. Uh, it might be easier to find it. <laughs> okay, so this makes me think of a music group called the Flowbots. They have a song called Roshni, and it's kind of talking about like being together. And um, one of the lines that um, yeah, the, the guy says he's talking about how you know everybody's a stranger until we like make the choice to be otherwise. And I think that's like one thing for complete actual strangers, but also something for friends, right? Like we are kind of strangers, even as friends, until we make the choice to be vulnerable with each other. And the point that he makes in terms of not being a burden, um, that's like what I'm thinking about is like that that's, that stress of not being a burden on others was, um, he says, um, when I share with you, it's an honor, not a favor. And I think that's, that's, that's so true to me. Like if somebody asks me for something, I'm like so willing to give it. Um, but then I'm so reluctant to ask myself. Like, I think there's certainly like a weird duality there. I, you know, that had made me have a realization because, um, uh, one of my friends, uh, I'm going to tell a quick tiny little story of something that happened recently here. Um, and this happens quite often. This one specific time, this was Friday last week. Um, and this is talking about one of, um, my, uh, male friends at school uh, he, I, I offered to do something for him and he said that he feels bad for me. He feels bad that I went to do it. But for me on my end, I was like, I was happy to do it. I really wanted to do it. It was an honor almost. Um, but on his end, he felt bad about it because I was offering to do something. It's like when someone offers to pay, um, for like, I'm going to have this give this a uh, quick example of a very rare scenario. Someone offers to pay for your groceries. You feel bad, but the other person's doing it and they feel good for it. They feel good about it. But right. that's one of the big things. People, like, it's, I guess one of the big struggles and something that I, I want to kind of leave this off on almost is that, you know, when other people are offering to help you or when you ask for help, 
you know, it is an honor to that person to be helping you. So when I offer my friends um, saying, hey, like I'm here for you, I wanna listen, I wanna help in any way that I can, that's me doing it because I genuinely want to and I'm not gonna judge none of that. It's an honor for me to help. Or if I buy something for someone or I'm, you know, someone asks me to do something for them and they feel bad, I feel bad that they feel bad because why are they feeling bad about it? I'm doing this. This is an honor to me. I really want to. So I think that's one of the biggest issues. If we really think about it, it's like people feel bad for each other, but why? Because on the side of other people, they want to be helpful. They want to, you know, do whatever it is. So I think that's, that's something to kind of have as a closing off kind of little discussion. Totally. I mean, I love like for me, like the one of the most valuable things that could ever come out of a podcast episode is somebody realizing something like mm-hmm. that's where you're like, we nailed it. Right. And for me, like I, you know, we started talking about mental health and that's that's like relatively familiar topic, men's mental health, masculinity, and that kind of thing. And one of the things like I started with was, you know, we have to think differently about courage because to ask for help is an act of courage. And, you know, and that's something that I've talked about with boys. But to say like now i'm just totally thinking like to say to a 12 year old like when you ask for help no 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 no. you're not asking for help you're offering your friend an opportunity holy crap jonathan whoa to feel so good you know and to to have helped another person like that's a core human need that we all have and you've given them an opportunity to fill that need like that's like to me that's like whoa okay um that's a completely different way about thinking of quote unquote asking for help right so i'm definitely going to carry that with me i think that's a really cool way to yeah that's super provoking yeah now like what i'm like holy shit like wow i'm i'm kind of like yeah to say like you know like what you were saying just it offers the other person the ability to do something for you and the thing is is it's a very natural human nature like kind of thought to be like oh I feel bad because this other person is doing something for me. But the thing is, if they were in that same situation, they'd be honored. Mm-hmm. So I think for the people listening at home, you might be having this realization too, because I don't know, I think that's just something that people need to start thinking about more. I think that's something that we as a society need to know. And then maybe it'll be easier the just naturally it'll be a natural effect for men to be able to express you know their problems and talk about mental health more just naturally because that won't be as much of an issue mm-hmm. yeah well thanks for having me i i mean our conversation went from you know like toxic masculinity to king lear to mm-hmm. like social media to asking for help and offering opportunities and honoring people like there's been so much but um so you have the job of cutting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and editing (laughs) um which i don't envy you but um but yeah thanks for having me it's been a real cool conversation again thank you for joining this was actually really fun and yeah i'll i'll let you know if i'm open to or if i'm available to do part two because i think that'd be quite interesting um so yeah cool all right thanks again for having Mm -hmm. me i'm gonna go have dinner catch you later all right see ya All right, so that was the very first episode of Inside Mind. I, whoa, um, I was not expecting this to be as, like, mind-boggling as it just was. Um, 
I'm really happy that um, I got Jonathan as the first guest because, um, you know, this kind of men's mental health thing has been something that's bothering me a long time, has been bothering me for a long time because I have um, one friend specifically that just, you know, struggles with it and he knows who he is. Um, and I feel, I feel bad because like, obviously I can't do anything about it. And our ending point of kind of like, uh, talking about, you know, it's actually an honor for me to help him an honor for basic things, but also for like listening. It's an honor for me to help yet, you know, he feels bad. So, you know, that's, that's just something that I think is a really good point to leave off on. So, you know, thank you all for listening and have an amazing rest of your day. Bye-bye.